All right, Popper, pop quiz for you. Okay, Mike. You make 62 saves in a 4-1 loss on the road. Are you the game's first star? It's tough for me to put myself in those shoes because I don't think I've ever stopped that many pucks in one game. However, yes, of course the player's the first star. 62 saves. Not in uh, Owen Sound, you're not. Well, the question is, how many stops did Mac Guzda have that game? Um, but I'm, I'm assuming that Cambridge native Jet Greaves, who you're alluding to here, got robbed. Let me put it to you this way. Okay. Guzda was the third star of the game, and Guzda made 29 saves. 62 saves. The kid faced 66 shots. The first star of the game scored a nothing meaningless goal in the third period to make it 4-1 Owen Sound. They didn't even give the first start of the game winning goal. Jet Greaves, 62 saves, second star. Wow. At least they got it right. The winning team gets two. The losing team gets one. Do you remember that time when Hunter Jones was the losing goalie in Kitchener and we gave him first star? We never I do. heard. I... Yeah, we never heard the end of that one. No, I remember it uh, fondly because we were accurate. Um, but the, hey, don't worry. The league memo is uh, still lingering in people's inboxes. Maybe it went to some people's junk mails, or maybe others didn't hear about it. From one um, Cambridge native with Barry to another, uh, Brian Little going to have his number retired by the Colts. 300, of, 342 points. What do you think of that? I love it. Go for it. I like it. Why not? He was fantastic there. But I think more teams, I shouldn't say maybe more teams, but I feel like teams sometimes are a little trigger happy on the retiring of numbers, but then others seem to never want to retire numbers. I love the idea of it. The only belief on my end is that you have to be pretty selective in when doing it because, yeah, you may have had a player who was pretty successful for your franchise for, let's say, half a decade, obviously, five years, half a decade, um, but your franchise didn't have much success in a decade and a half. Are you really really willing to uh, put a number up there that may not deserve to be in the Raptors? I think Brian Little definitely does, though. Couldn't agree more. Good job by the Barry Colts to retire that number in an upcoming ceremony. Nobody has a handle on the league like these two hockey heads. Mike Farwell, Chris Pope. Your number one authorities on the OHL. This is the Farwell and Pope podcast. Hey, let's get down to business here. All right. Where the hell are you? Um, right now I'm in Cambridge. Is- I, uh, I, I, listen, we may, we have to juggle numerous balls in this role. Um, and right now I am waiting for those uh, those knives I'm juggling right now to come crashing down and uh, take out part of my ear. I already got part of my ear taken off today, uh, so I think another knife might just fall. But uh, sometimes we got to make things work, and right now uh, I am pulled over in Cambridge making this work. Is it possible that you have been driving around Cambridge and other parts of southern Ontario these last several hours looking for a place to possibly build an arena that would one day house the OHL's Bulldogs. Because, oh boy, they may not be staying in Hamilton for much longer. The Cambridge Bulls sounds pretty good. We can throw it back to Belleville. It's not bad. Um, 
no, actually, I was driving through Hamilton earlier this week. I spent the majority of this week down in Niagara Falls, which is why I'm unable to make it to the station to uh, record this edition of the Firewell and Pope podcast because I'm trying to make good on three days missed for a conference down in Niagara Falls, former home of the Thunder, um, now home of the Ice Dogs. However, I it's very interesting what is going on in Hamilton, Mike, and um, having lived there and having been in, uh, an intern with the Hamilton Bulldogs when they were of the American Hockey League, it absolutely blows my mind that the city of Hamilton is acting the way it is with a guy like Michael Anlauer. He has went above and beyond as an owner, as both an American Hockey League team and now an Ontario Hockey League team. He has said, I will front most of the money. Just meet me halfway here. And the city is balking at it because they want it downtown. They've done, they've worked forever to try to revitalize a downtown that just isn't being revitalized. Eventually, you have to look elsewhere. And on top of the mountain in Hamilton makes the most perfect sense, especially near Lime Ridge Mall. If they put it out there, transit goes out there. It's right beside the highway, on and off. Uh, the accessibility for a fan is perfect. And Ann Lauer wants it there. He's willing to put the money there. People will be able to get there. It blows my mind how the city is being so stubborn and willing just to lose their hockey team. And lose, more importantly, lose a guy who has been so positive for the city in Michael Anlauer. The, the city of Hamilton really needs to check themselves out in the mirror and realize what they have going for them and step off their high horse. Isn't the first Ontario Centre downtown? Yes. Yeah, how's that working out for the city? Not great. It smells like 10,000 asses. Just ask Def Leppard. I know I curse, but it, I feel like uh, it, I was, it was a quote, and that's what they called it. And listen... You can leave the first Ontario Centre there for all the conventions and stuff that you want, but it's far too big of a building and for for an Ontario Hockey League team to have any kind of atmosphere. And it's run down. It hasn't been kept up to the quality of other places for bands and for hockey teams to go. And in this Ontario Hockey League, first Ontario Centre is way over the top. It's not needed. And the the price of money that I'm sure the team is playing, paying for rent in there and stuff and not having a, a top-quality uh, arena. Ann Lauer's been talking about this since I was an intern back in college with the Bulldogs about getting a new rink for them. And that's the like, AHL's Bulldogs. Yeah, like, and here we are, and he, he buys the team and moves them to Hamilton. Like, he's done so much for that city and always so willing to do what's best, not for him, but for the city and for the fans of the team. He's willing to swallow. Like, the guy's got money, and he, he's not... He's not cheap. <laughs> you don't talk about Michael Anlauer being cheap. He, he, heck, he brought the Bulldogs, and he had all the gear still from his American Hockey League team, all the branding, and he still changed the colors just because he wanted to give them a fresh identity. The guy's not cheap. He's willing to do whatever he can for the success of this hockey club, and it blows my mind that a city as big as Hamilton and as, as big as they are into the Ticats, that city really rounded or uh, like gathered around the Bulldogs when they won the Calder Cup there. And I, it just blows my mind. Keep in mind, it wasn't too long ago, Farzi, that you know Hamilton was talked about getting a National Hockey League team back when Jim Balsillie was going to buy them and um, move a hockey team to Hamilton. And if you want to talk about a hockey city, it's tough for people to fall in love with the game of hockey and tough for people to fall in love with the Ontario Hockey League when you've got a city and city council and a mayor that's being so boneheaded. Well, 
And let's bring this around to what really matters, at least as far as this podcast and its listeners go. It's all well and good. We can talk about the Calder Cup and the AHL's Hamilton Bulldogs. We can talk about Jim Balsley and the old dreams about bringing a new National Hockey League team, a relocated team, to the city of Hamilton for the NHL. But this is a Bulldogs team in the Ontario Hockey League that is two years removed from an OHL championship. This was a team that played and competed for the Canadian National Junior Championship. And you talked about how Michael Andlauer brought the team in, gave it a fresh identity, but this move away from Belleville, lest we've forgotten in the five, six years since it happened, it was... I don't want to say shady because I agree that Michael Andlauer has been a model owner in this league, but something was strange about it because all of a sudden one day the Belleville Bulls were just no longer. And I know they were having some trouble and there were some issues in the city there with the old Yardman Arena, et cetera, in Belleville, but it happened so quickly. You want to talk about how long Brampton hung on before uh, Scott Abbott finally said, we're going back up to North Bay and and recreating a, a a franchise in the city that used to have the Centennials. Before the former Centennials moved to Saginaw, it was documented for quite some time that, that the North Bay Centennials were not having uh, not, not having tea with the city and there was some political wrangling going on there. The Belleville Bulls seemingly disappeared one night and became the Hamilton Bulldogs in the blink of an eye. And it seemed to me at the time that it was a move on the part of the Ontario Hockey League to say, listen... Here's a guy that we want as an owner in the league. Here's a guy that's got a situation that we can move into right away. They do that, and Lauer becomes that model owner that we're talking about. But the city of Hamilton clearly doesn't care about the Ontario Hockey League, and that, to me, is the most concerning part about this situation as an observer of this league. Nobody seems to care. They clearly don't see value around that council table in Hamilton in the Ontario Hockey League, and that's a crying shame. Yeah, when you say the city doesn't care, you mean the actual city council. Yeah. Because right? like, we saw the fans show up there during For the, sure. Ontario, yeah, the, the Ontario Hockey League final. It was great. It was awesome. Um, are you, were you alluding to something fishy, Mike, when the Belleville Bulls or the city of Belleville loses an Ontario Hockey League team but gains an American Hockey League team? Well, the whole and then, thing. And then, and then Hamilton loses their American League but gains an Ontario Hockey League team? Are you saying something fishy? I'm just saying it's hockey team roulette is all I'm saying. I know. It's so weird. They swip swap the leagues in both cities. Um, it's very, very, very odd. Uh, I'm, You know what? I'm right with you. I think that the city needs to take a look in the mirror. And I, I said they, they need to get off their high horse. Like enough's enough. Yeah, you want to revitalize the downtown. There's plenty of other ways to do that. There, Hamilton is a very underrated city in the sense they have some fantastic, like the food scene is fantastic. The The nightlife is great. Um, there, are there rough parts of the town still? Sure. Are there rough parts of Kitchener and Mississauga and Kingston? Yes. Every city's got their rough spots, but the, the city of Hamilton has come a long way from what it used to be. Figure out something else to do with First Ontario Centre and build this hockey team a proper arena. We are having this conversation on the very night that the top prospects game is being played at, of all places, First Ontario Centre in Hamilton. And Popper and I had a chance to catch up with the head of NHL Central Scouting when we caught up with him in a rink recently. Dan Marr joined us for a chat, and we began by talking about, of course, if you didn't know it before the World Juniors, you knew it 
after the tournament, probably one game into the tournament. Alexi Lafreniere is going to go first overall in this June's NHL draft, and he was the first person we talked to Dan Marr about. It's kind of surprising. He's been a marked man. They've been going after him, and he's had to really stand up for himself, defend himself. He's gotten suspended a, a couple times, but he, he's shown that you know he's the real deal. He's a complete package, and that like he wants to be the best. And he, and he goes out there, and he shows that game in and game out. That's not easy to do in the Quebec League, get suspended. It's yeah. a rough-and-tumble <laughs> squad out there. But Dan, how, do you, how does it differ, doing what you're doing now with central scouting, compared to working for teams? You were at the Atlanta Thrashers, the Toronto Maple Leafs. Obviously, you've got a team of scouts, but you can't be in every rink every night. So how are you keeping tabs on these players? Well, with central scouting, we're, we do the same job, but we're set up a lot differently. And like Everyone has pressure to do a good job. But our group, we don't have the stress of how the team's doing if they're in the playoffs and <laughs> if the win losses and how the prospects are, are developing. And and our staff, uh, we do a lot more crossover than what a lot of the club scouts do. A lot of them are have a specific area that they're responsible for. They go and they do they do some crossover. So one one of the things that the the clubs like from our list is that they know we've got a group of professionals that do the same job, they go to the same rinks, but we just cross over a little bit more. So when you try and put that big picture together, it just stimulates some conversation as to, you know, why would Central have this Ontario guy ahead of the Quebec guy or the Western guy or vice versa. And that's that's we're a service department and that that's our main role is just to provide some information to the team, give them a different perspective on things just to stimulate conversations among themselves. And maybe that area guy will really step up and pound the table for someone. And all the head scouts and the GMs, they like it when their scouts stick up for players that they think strongly of from their area. In the role you're in now, how much argument is there amongst your team of scouts that, oh, I like Byfield better than Perfetti. Oh, I like Perfetti better than Byfield. There, 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 there's lots of discussions like that, uh, and it doesn't get to the argumentative stage, but everybody has their favorites. Everybody likes certain things about both certain players, and, you know, you tend to – it's a very humbling experience when you go back and look at players that you really thought high of for one reason or another to see where they are today, and then there's some other players who you just weren't buying into how good they might be and you're watching them play in the NHL and go both things. So with all scouts, you're, you're constantly learning. Uh, the players in today's game are, are different than they were a decade ago and then different than they were before there. So you kind of have to keep up with what these young men are going through, especially in their draft year. There's a lot of pressure. There's just a lot of expectations. They're growing, they have a social life, they're in school, they have family. There's, there's a lot of things that they have to handle. And I can honestly tell you, every year at the Combine, we have uh, a little over 100 players come in, the best players in the world. And every year, the groups, the kids that are coming in, they're motivated, they're educated, they know what's ahead of them, they, they know how to prepare for games, they have more information on nutrition and conditioning, how to look after themselves. Uh, the thing that, that gets me, though, is I, I still haven't figured out the social media world. and <laughs> They're always on their phone. It's just beyond me. <laughs> it's, it's funny, but you, when we're comparing those eras, Dan, from 
the way players used to develop, the way they used to play this game, it's obviously changed the way now that you evaluate a player. So how are you evaluating a player in 2019-20 compared to the way you might have evaluated them in 2009-10? Well, the, the one thing that you know never changes, obviously, is that the, the, the cream rises to the top. Like, good players are good players. And, and now with the, you know, after the last lockout when the, the rules changed and the game has continued to, to evolve to be a fast-paced, quick game where you have to have your wits about you and play smart, it's the players that have the hockey IQ that maybe weren't the biggest guys or they weren't the most skilled guys. Those type of guys get opportunities, just like smaller players get more opportunity if they've got the skill. So if you can't skate, nobody's going to draft a project skater. So right now, everyone has to be able to skate to play in the league. But some guys have more skills with their hands and their scoring ability, and some guys have that size asset and the checking ability. But it's that player that... It shows you their hockey IQ, their hockey sense, the smarts to the game situation that stand out. And then it's those that compete, whether they're competing with their smarts or competing with their speed or their skills. It, it never changes. So, like, competitiveness and hockey sense have really risen to the top because you do have your skill players. You'll always have them. You ha- And, you, like I said, you have to be able to skate. So it, it's just... Uh, the game has changed in the sense that there's more opportunities now for the smarter, skilled players that there maybe not have been in the past when size and strength are more of a factor. Still a good thing to have a, a big guy that can really skate and play hard. Like and, Byfield? Uh, yeah. Well, there, there's lots of players that are were, that are in the in the game today. Like, you know, Tom Wilson we were talking about in the scouts room earlier today. This is someone, he's playing... He's achieved a level that was never projected for him going into his draft year. And then these are the things you always have to keep in mind when you're watching players. Uh, we had some fun discussions about double A, Andreas Athanasiu, like how he had to find his identity. It took mm-hmm. him a couple of years, but then once he found it, off he went. So when we, a lot of teams are getting ready for their midseason meetings now, and they're having these kind of conversations like, you know, who does he remind you of? Uh, I hate doing the comparisons on, on players. But it's always good for the scouts just to go back and look at some guys that were struggling in their draft year their first couple years. They are only 17, 18. They are going to mature. They're going to physically mature. They're going to get experience in coaching that they're going to develop. So it's that projection value that you really can't, uh, can't turn it into a science. So many questions to follow up on. <laughs> um, but I'd, I'd be reminiscent if we didn't ask about a couple Kitchener Rangers. This is a broadcast for this team. So I want to ask about a couple of the draft-eligible players on the Rangers. What are your thoughts? Well, I don't know. How do you say 26's name correctly? Odevinen. Odevinen. Odevinen and, and Sobrango. The thing that, uh, that really stands out with them is that they're very patient players. They, you know, they don't really get flustered under four-check pressure. And they, they keep the game simplified enough to where they don't rush things. And then when they do get the opportunities, they've, they've got the wheels where they can take off and pull away and join a rush and participate in on the play. So I, I, I think they're both developing in the way that you want to see someone development where they're just going one, two, three, four, five, and just they're continuing in an upward path. Those guys that get on the two, four, six, eight, sometimes it catches up with them and they and they crash and burn. 
And then uh, Mr. Velati's making a case for himself. He's one of those guys, you know, I think a lot of opponents don't want him on the ice when they're out there. He just has a way of getting in their face and being a pest. But he competes on pucks. He plays bigger than his size. And so these are all the type of qualities that you uh, that you look for in a player. I wish we had more time, but it's always great to get some of your time, and we'll have to do it again. Dan, thank you so much for joining us. All the best. Take care, guys. Well, Popper, one of the other big things in the Ontario Hockey League this week, and I want to emphasize that it is a big thing in the OHL. This is not the home team bias that we are sometimes deservedly accused of, but when a guy that has been at the helm of the business operations of an OHL team for 18 years, when he is the governor for that team around the 20 governor's table, and he is as respected as this man is around the league, and he announces his retirement, it's big news. And Steve Bienkowski of the Kitchener Rangers, the chief operating officer, has done just that. This is his final go-round, and in June, he will no longer be the COO in Kitchener. The search for a replacement is on as we speak yeah it's pretty crazy it's hard to think of the kitchen rangers with without steve biankowski uh obviously a former ranger player um he's done a lot for this franchise in the front office certainly more so than he did uh as a goaltender he raised attendance uh raised the financial value of the team and obviously because it's a community-owned team that means some great things put back into the community the numerous memorial cups hosted excuse me, the numerous Memorial Cups raised and banners raised to the rafters. Um, he has done a lot, uh, a lot for this franchise. And it's it's definitely a loss for, for the Rangers and some big shoes to fill. I mean, I there's not a lot of bad things you could say about a guy like Steve Jankowski when it comes to his contributions to both the Kitchener Rangers and Waterloo Region's sports scene and some of the 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 um the groups in waterloo region like i know he's done a lot for the kw poppy fund and obviously all the uh the special needs hockey uh around waterloo he's always given back to that through the rangers and um it's he is a main reason as to why when talking people around the ontario hockey league they speak so highly of the kitchener rangers He's a former KW Citizen of the Year, of course. He's in the Waterloo Region Sports Hall of Fame. And in fairness to his time as a player with the Kitchener Rangers, going back to 80-81, he was a goaltender and he shared the crease with arguably one of the best the team ever had in Wendell Young. But that was the first OHL championship for the Kitchener Rangers that he was part of as a player. But when it comes to Steve Bienkowski as the business person that really took this franchise 18 years ago. Uh, in fact, even going back before that, when he joined as a volunteer on the board and the state that the team was in at the time, there was no real uh, direction from a business standpoint. There was no real plan. And if you've ever spent five minutes with Steve Bienkowski, you recognize how remarkably intelligent the guy is. And then you look at what he's been able to accomplish. And I can tell you just from talking to other teams, other organizations around this league, they look at the Kitchener Rangers as a model of the way to do things as much off the ice as on the ice. We can argue that, you know, it's been 10 years plus now since an OHL championship. Uh, 2003 was a Memorial Cup win under Steve Bienkowski's guidance then of course 2008 he puts together the bid that allows the team to host and it was 
generally regarded as one of uh, the best Memorial Cup host bids that was put together in the tournament itself with all the little extras that were added to it have been uh, well-documented and, and, and well-respected. But the thing that I think drives me craziest in all of this, one of the first tweets I got after it was made public that Steve was stepping down and retiring as the chief operating officer, some lug nut tweeted me and said, good, now we can take the team private. One of the things that just blows my mind is this idea that Steve Bienkowski is somehow like Harold Ballard back in the 1980s, sitting there in his little bunker with the Toronto Maple Leafs as the owner and essentially running the Toronto Maple Leafs into the ground. Steve Bienkowski does not own the Kitchener Rangers. Steve Bienkowski has no skin in the game other than seeing the team succeed and by extension, the city succeed. This team in the hundreds of thousands of dollars gives back to the community. This team has allowed the city to expand its arena, which is for more than just hockey. Yes, the Kitchener Rangers are the primary tenant of the Memorial Auditorium, but there are concerts, there are all kinds of other things that happen within that arena. And thanks to Steve Bienkowski's smart business acumen, they've been able to add seats to it, make the building that much better, the video score clock, the ribbon advertising, you name it. He's put all of this stuff in place that just makes the building itself better for the entire city. But the fact that people somehow look at this guy as holding back the franchise, holding back the the performance on the ice is one of the most mind-numbing narratives that go around this town. It makes me crazy. And for the love of all things holy, don't think for a second anybody's going to come in and buy this privately, nor should they. You don't. You, you mean to tell me that uh, Steve Bienkowski isn't the general manager and the head coach of the Kitchener Rangers? Shockingly, no, he's not. And, and again, oh. he's not even the owner, Chris. Let's yeah, remember he, he that. Own the team? He does not own the team. Oh. Yeah. He runs the he, business. Yeah, I thought he uh, was the primary owner of the hockey club, and uh, he got to decide where the team was put, and he's the final line. Uh, it's Yeah, I'm right with you. It blows my mind. Everything he's done, and, and even just finding the pathway through that addition, it, uh, it blows my mind that people think that this team should be taken private. It would be one of the most asinine things to happen. And again, just the fact that people somehow think that the team's fortunes rest on Steve Bienkowski's shoulders only from a business standpoint. And when you look at it from the business standpoint, it is an unimpeachable record. You just, you, you can't find something. I mean, it went from about 3000 fans per game to more, more than 7,000 fans. A lot of nights seasons tickets are up over 5,000. Most cities would be happy to see 5,000 fans come through their turnstiles in three games, much less have that many on your season ticket base. I could go on and on about the business accomplishments, but that's all the man does. It's not like he has to give permission for trades. It's not like he tells the general manager, Mike McKenzie, to go out and do things and get this player and do this and do that, and here are the line combinations you should run. The man runs the business. He keeps the books. That's what he does, and he does it so damn well. It drives me nuts that people can't see that and they don't understand that around here. That he does, and it's, you know what, it's a trusted voice. When Mike McKenzie is making a trade or when there's an issue with the team or what they should do with this and what they should do with that, he's a trusted voice people go to for guidance. This, this whole franchise is lesser off, for sure, without Steve Edkowski. Well, and, and the league too, it's going to be, 
it's going to be a change, and you'll see as as this hockey season, this OHL season winds down, and of course there will have to be a, a new governor for the Kitchener Rangers to sit around that table at the OHL meetings every year. Uh, you'll hear the accolades start coming in from the league and from elsewhere, and, and that's fine. Those who have a certain opinion on it will always maintain that opinion, but uh, those in the know and those around this game recognize that a respected hockey man, uh, a respected OHL man, is is stepping down from his job, and it's too bad. It's, it's, it's the end of an era, and like you said earlier, very big shoes to now fill here in the city of Kitchener. Hey, I know you have a talk show on 570 News for three hours a day, but uh, are you looking for a change in profession? Are you suggesting chief operating officer of the Kitchener Rangers? I mean, it's you know, now that you, a pretty good gig. Now that you mention it, that might not be bad because then people can blame me for everything that goes wrong with the team. Oh, as soon as we get Farwell out of there, everything will be fine. That'll be awesome. I think they already do blame you. That's a good point. I get blamed for <laughs> I get blamed for everything. I'm going to be blamed for this podcast. I'm going to be blamed for the trades that went wrong, everything like that. Hey, I'm just glad that you're sounding better. I know you were fighting the cold and uh, I appreciate you making this thing work for me. We're on the right side of this thing, Popper, just in time for another three-in-three three for us this weekend. And then we get a little bit of a break from the three-in-threes and, and go like three-in-four or something like that. It's going to be walk in the park after this weekend. I don't know if many people would have thought two months ago the Kitchener Rangers would be first in the Midwest Division. But here we are. Worst to first been an interesting ride <laughs> it has indeed and it just gets more interesting from here as we are into the unofficial second half of the season the trades are done the teams that loaded up have done just that loaded up with their eyes on the prize and it gets that much more fun to cover the games as we get into this part of the season so let's get back to the rinks back on the ice and uh, see what we can cook up for next week's episode of the farwell and pope podcast i'm farwell and i'm pope and that is the Farwell and Pope podcast. That's a wrap on this edition of the Farwell and Pope podcast. Your authority on everything around the OHL. Have a question or topic you'd like covered? Email mike at 570news.com. The Farwell and Pope podcast originates from the 570 News studio in Kitchener. The podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm John Gay from Jag and Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundle from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.